If you are a cornerstone kid and you are a salty, which is the younger ones, Lorraine knows all that, you can go downstairs. If you are an older cornerstone kid, you have activity bags in the back you can go and get, or you can choose to stay here and listen to me. Uh Uh, We spent much of this week, my wife and I, with our nearly two-year-old grandson, 22 to aunt. So I'm going to start today with three letters, A, B, C, okay? So I know my hierarchy in the order of different things. Plan A, Pastor Jeff would be here preaching and speaking to you. As an elder board we met a week and a half ago, Pastor Jeff's dad is going, went through quadruple bypass surgery Tuesday. Not just one, two, four. They say the difference between major surgery and minor surgery is that minor surgery happens to someone else. There is an element of truth there, but quadruple bypass is major surgery in anyone's book. So as an elder board, when we're looking at things like, I'm getting a little bit of a ring on this, Joshua. A little, so maybe a little less, thank you. So with the, the commandment to honor your father and mother, that it may be well with you, we want things to go well with Jeff and Mona. We felt it was good that they are over there taking care of his mom, being there with his dad through this time. So plan A, Jeff is gone. Then we go to plan B. All right, Brother Jack, you're on the board. You've had all this great experience preaching. Jack, we're looking to you. Uh, Susan went in for knee replacement Thursday. So she came home yesterday. Uh, Jack is being husband and nurse and gopher and whatever you want, dear. Yes, dear. (laughs) I will fix dinner. So that was plan B. Now, being on the elder board, and I think I can still claim I'm, I'm one of the younger elders, but I sat there a few, year, few months back, and George says, Jack, we think you'd be good as a chairman. Okay. Little did I know what it's in for. So I am plan C to bring you a message today. A, B, C. I know my hierarchy. I know my importance. With that, we do have a message that has been on my heart. Hopefully it will be on your heart as well as we come through here. It's called the most important thing. Let's bow in prayer, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, our Lord, the living God, our Creator, thank you for the songs we sang this morning. They pointed to you. Father, as we come to you, touch our hearts. Let your Spirit have his way with our will, with our stubbornness. Open our eyes to see you in a deeper way, in a richer way today. We love you. We want to honor you. We want to grow closer to you today, this morning. Be with Jeff's family. Be with Jack and his family as they deal with these surgeries and things. Work through me, Lord, as a message today. We ask in your precious name. Amen. Today's message is called The Most Important Thing. We major on the minors. We say, okay, this is important, and then we easily get sidetracked. 
it's like, well, school's getting ready to start. So say a schoolgirl has her first assignment. All right, you're supposed to write what you did this summer, one of your favorite activities. So she gets all excited. Yes, I can do this. Then she has to take time. Now, which, which favorite notebook should I write this in? Should I do the one that has the horses, or should I do the one with the cute little puppies? So she has to kind of deal with that. Finally, she chooses the kitten one that, that went out over the puppies. And then she has to choose her favorite pencil, finally gets the pencil with the horses, and has to sharpen it just so. And by the time she gets that all prepared, oh, time to go to bed. Maybe I'll write it tomorrow. We major on the minors. We get sidetracked on the most important thing. Let's see if this works here. Ha ha. Keenan, bless his heart, talks. I have lots of different sayings I've collected through the years. He refers to them as Georgisms. So we're going to start today with a Georgism. You can read with me, please. The most important thing is that the most important thing remains the most important thing. Now, some of you are going to go, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Many of you are going to go, what? <laughs> the most important thing is that the most important thing remains the most important thing. Think of the girl, what she was supposed to do, what she wound up doing. So what's the point of being a Christian? How did you come to God? For me, long time ago, young man of 19, it was a conviction from God in my heart that what he was saying was true. There really was a God. And I was on the wrong side of the track, so to speak. I didn't want to go to hell. I knew I was a sinner. I wanted forgiveness. That's a good place to come. That's one of the points of being a Christian. Promise of heaven. Maybe you came because you're looking at the life here, and this is good, but isn't there something better? Promise of heaven, peel of a new life, power over sin, or you want God? Here's a good one. How many need God to help? Yes, it's a good thing. But is that the whole point of being a Christian? It's part of the package deal, but what's the most important thing? Matthew 22 gives Jesus' answer to what's the most important thing. You can read with me if you wish. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So the number one point of being a Christian, I think, to Jesus, what's the most important? To love God. When was the last time you heard a sermon on loving God? But God put that as number one, to love God, not just a little bit. Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament. Very, very famous passage for you Bible scholars. As Moses is getting ready to address the Israelites for the last time before God takes him 
up as they're getting ready to enter the promise. He starts and opens his last sayings, his last speech to them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord our God is one. As compared to where they came out of Egypt where they had this God, that God, that God. The Lord our God is one. And Moses goes on. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. When I first became a Christian, I ran across that. I didn't understand. I was kind of looking going, what kind of egotistical being is this that says, that commands us to love him? Really, God, honestly? Yes, I was very young. (laughs) And I did not understand. He is worthy of everything. Let me give you, we've got back up there, journey on. Part of the journey God has taken me. And I can say now, I love God. No, I don't love him perfectly. He knows that. Neither do you. But I love him, and it is a real thing. I love my God. So, how do we love God? We can't see him. We can't touch him physically. Where do we start with loving God? Or much better, a practical list. I could give you five steps to controlling your tongue. That's much, you know, we can handle that. I can give you seven ways to become more patient, except I only got about five of them and I'd had it. It's an inner thing. Bible talks about man looks on the outward appearance. We see things. God looks on the heart. Loving God is not an outward thing. Loving God always, always comes from the heart. And when the heart is right, the outward comes good. When you try and do the outward without the inward, we get into Pharisee territory where They did these things, but the heart was not right. Speaking of heart being right, have you noticed the church roof lately? As elders, we could have done a big campaign. We could have said, God's going to bless if you give this. We did, you know, put a whole lot of things, but we didn't want to go there. We wanted people to see the need, pray. We had some videos we have a, a little church back there on there. And thank you, Ruth Gallion, for making that. So it's been kind of a quiet, low-key campaign. And it just blesses my heart. Because from this congregation, we're not huge. We're probably not really rich and wealthy either, most of us. And yet, when we started the campaign, we needed about 37000 We still have a little more time before we need to pay them. We're down to about 6,000 now because people have been listening to God, responding to God from their heart. Yeah, we could have done a high-pressure campaign. We could have had a contest to see who can give most outward appearance. What's going to bless your heart more? What's going to cause you to grow more? Outer pressure to give or seeing the need God lays it on your heart and you respond. Have you missed that miracle over the last six months? How that money has come in? And when God has your wallet, he's got your heart. (laughs) Yes, amazing thing. So, loving God is spiritual. John 4, 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him 
must worship him in spirit and truth. We need to always start inward. So part of the, where we're coming from is the phrase, you might have heard this before, to know him is to love him. Ever had one of those songs stuck in your head? Okay, I've got one stuck in my head while I was working on this sermon. It goes way back a long time ago, before most anyone time here. Oh, some of you might remember. To know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. Yeah, I know. No one else has heard that one. But hey, Paul, Paul knows that one. All right. It was a good era back in the 50s, Paul. <laughs> but yes, to know him is to love him. You say that sometimes of, of different people because you get to know the qualities. You get to know what they're like. They're kind. They're a hard worker. Treats me well. To know God as we get to know him better is to love him. Maybe that song won't be stuck in your head. You can YouTube it. There's a couple versions out. Anyway, we're going to get to know God better through Psalm 19. Three sections of Psalm 19. First part looks at the God of creation. Second section looks at the God of communication. And the third section is the God I respond to. My God. My God I respond to. So God's creation... Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. The idea here is that God's creation is speaking of who he is. So what do we learn from looking at the creation? God is immensely powerful. Can we comprehend a being that speaks the heavens into existence? Can we comprehend a being that is such a God of creativity? How many people enjoy doing arts, arts hobbies, crafts, that kind of thing? Quite a few. I believe that's part of how God made us. In the beginning, God created. Skip down a few chapters of Genesis. We're created in his image and likeness. Does it feel good when you create something? Yeah. I'm that way. I like to, to create music and, and that kind of stuff, compose songs. I've got several books put out from that. That's not a plug, by the way. <laughs> but uh, it satisfies something deep inside to create. That's part of what I believe God has put in there for all of us. That's part of being human as God made us. Our creator God. So are we listening? Are we kind of aware? Or are we just kind of pass by all creation? It's easy to just accept it and not realize the awesomeness of the creator. Continuing on, Psalm 19. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterance to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Poetry. God's sun 
how awesome it is, all the stars, God's creation. There's a series of videos put up by Louis. I think it's Giglio. Forgive me if I pronounce it wrong. One that I saw that just totally impressed me was how great is our God. I could never begin to express it as well as Louis did. But how great is our God and how marvelous is his creation. We have this earth, this little isolated planet in space, just the right distance from the sun, not too hot, not too cold, just right for life. You go to the moon, no air. We have air here. You go to Mars, which isn't that far away. Not life that we've found yet. Just this one section where everything is just right. And then you start counting the stars. Oh, my goodness. God has one point where he tells Abraham, look at the stars. Abraham, can you count them? We can't. We can see many with the naked eye. You start getting in these Hubble telescopes and things. It goes on. It goes on. That's our God, our creator. Louis has this to say on his website. When we truly look up and see the greatness and grandeur of God, it is in that moment that our knees bow down and we find peace in the presence of the almighty God. Loving God has to start with knowing God and knowing him as the creator. Side point is, the larger we see God, the larger, more powerful he is, the smaller our problems look. God can handle it. He spoke this world into existence. Some of you guys, this next section, you're kind of going to go roll your eyes a little bit and go, well, duh, that's obvious. Others may be struggling with this. I did a little bit when I first came to the Lord. Creation and evolution. Okay? We need to be settled and sure. When I first came to the Lord, I came out of, I had a semi-Christian background. Then I walked away from everything. There is no God. In the space of a week, reading through late great planet Earth, God brought me to where instinctively I came back to there's a creator God. But evolution is presented with all this science stuff. And how do you reconcile what's scientific with what it says in the Bible? God is the creator of the universe. A couple things as I work through it. There may be someone here this is important to and help. The Bible never argues for the existence of God. It assumes that he is. The Bible starts within the beginning. God created. There you go. Probably waste the time to try and argue. Scientific method is good. The scientific method seeks truth. The scientific method seeks its truth through repeatable experiments. Let's set up this experiment. It happened this way. Okay, let's set up the same experiment again. Does it do the same thing? Can we do it with these studies with different controls? And through that, we've been able to learn a lot of things of what God has put in this world. Evolution takes some of the science and assumes. You can't go back and do any repeatable experiments for where this world came from. 
It's assumptions. Well, we see this, so we'll assume this. So, yeah, it's got pseudoscience, but it's not really the scientific method. And then maybe this might help as well, if, you're, if you've been struggling with this. The complexity of design suggests a master engineer. The complexity of design suggests a master engineer. A few years back in the go, yes, I am, I am an elder, so I reached the point where I was not able to see very well. So the obvious solution was it was my optometrist's fault. I'd just gotten a new pair of glasses a couple months before, and they weren't working very good. And what was the matter with that optometrist? They should have done a better job. But did I go in right away? Of course not. Not that I would ever be stubborn, no. So I waited a while. I spent good money for the glasses. I was going to struggle with them and use them for a while. So I finally went into the optometrist and started going, yeah, these glasses you gave me, they didn't do a very good job. Oh, really? Well, let's see what's going on. And after about five seconds, yeah, your eyes have changed. Yeah, I could have told you that. You have cataracts. Oh, it wasn't her fault. Oh, okay, all right. So I needed new lenses. So they put me in surgery, conk me out, take out the old lenses, put in brand new lenses. Wonderful. Remember the Wizard of Oz movie? where you're in Kansas, and then you're in Wizard of Oz, and it's all of a sudden colors? It wasn't cloudy anymore. It was great. It was marvelous. I could see much better again. But it came with a price. It's good in a lot of ways. God designed our eyes with the lenses that with a squeeze of the muscles, it changes. My old lenses, I could see far away. If I looked at something close, Automatically, the muscles squeeze. I could see up close. Something in middle, I could refocus. If you've taken pictures and you have cameras, refocus. Marvelous how God made that. My new lenses are good. They don't refocus. <laughs> They're great. I've got 20-20 vision for anything far away. It's great. I told my wife, first thing after surgery, dear, you're so beautiful. And she says, I'm up close. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> if you need to see, but if I need to read something closer, there is no refocus. So, yes, these help. But God's design, that's just one small part of the human body, of what God has made. And then you add that with with the color cones back there and the, the, the um, optums or whatever it's called. Yeah, obviously this is not my area of expertise. Give me music. But uh, marvelous. So one of the things as I look through God's design is I believe evolution says all this creation took place from two elements. Time well, maybe a thousand years isn't enough. We'll go a million years. Well, maybe a million years is enough. We'll call it a billion years. Time and chance. So if you put enough time and enough chance, bingo, human being will come out. It takes more faith, I believe, to believe in evolution than to believe in God. And last part of this, 
and, and we'll go through. There's more materials. If you've, if you've struggled with this, there's plenty of materials out there. But Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The God we love, the God we come to, the God we know, is the powerful God of creation. But we don't leave it there. It's not enough just to leave him as the personal creator. Not enough. Let me get that one one more time again. It's not enough to leave him out there as the creator of the universe. He created us. You. You. Me. Psalm 139. David is called a man after God's own heart many times. He wasn't perfect. Neither are we. But he was a man after God's own heart. Highly honored, highly esteemed from God. David's understanding of creator God was very personal. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 from David. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. The ground we have to stand on to love him is knowing our place in the universe, knowing there is a God, the God who is the creator. But beyond that, he saw me in the womb. He knows me. He created me. That brings us to the proper place we know in life. We become what I call the creature before the creator. We look up, we lift up to our Father, our being. Thank you, God. He is strong. We are not. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, yeah, we sang that a lot this week, too, (laughs) with the little guy. How awesome is the God as our creator? Let me think one moment. Okay, we are here. Sorry, need to go through my work notes. Um, is there really a God who created this world? If there is, and he personally created and knows me, shouldn't my relationship with him be the most important thing in my life? Isn't that a good question? If there is a God... And we say there is as Christians. And he created me. And we give that lip service. Yes. How important then? Logically, he should be. We are not logical people. <laughs> we can give lip service to that. God talks through Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. The most important thing is that the most important thing remains the most important thing. So how are you doing loving God? How are you doing seeing where we're at? How would examining your life go with loving God? So God is my creator. So what? How is this practical in my life? Good question. You've sometimes heard the phrase, heard the phrase or saying, Praying, there's a new word. <laughs> that got between the two. 
So-and-so is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Yes. Very few of us are that heavenly-minded. <laughs> We're more earthly-minded. That's not my problem being over-heavenly-minded. Probably not yours either. But it is practical. It was practical to Jesus. What is the most important thing? To love God. So if you're loving God, what are some things that that comes to? One, we start bowing before God. One, I become a humble person, finally. Pride and arrogance, God hates. Pride of Talks in the word, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Here's another one for you, Paul. Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. Uh-huh. Well, he was a good fighter. But who's the greatest? And yet, we get so boastful and proud of what we can do. If we have God as our creator, and we know we're created, we become more humble. All our gifts and accomplishments, instead of boasting of them, we become thankful to God as the giver of the gifts. Who do you like to be around more? Someone that's boastful and proud or someone that's humble and... Yeah. We don't like to be around someone that's always me, me, me. And then if God created me, here's another takeaway. He has a purpose for me. Part of my job then is to listen to him and find out what the purpose is. So when I'm living my life, instead of me being the center, and as I came to the Lord, it was about me being honest, but God takes us where we are. Me, I don't want to go to hell. Me, I want to go to heaven. Me, I want to help her in all my problems. We got to start there. We all start at babydom with me, me, me. If a baby's hungry at six months old, it doesn't care if mommy's sleeping or not. <laughs> right, Kent? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, then he does, Sarah, your child is calling. <laughs> just, just pointing out to you, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. It's all about me. God's got to gently swing us to where the most important thing is to love him and to see him. If we have that right, then we come much more willing to serve. We don't look inward as much as we look outward. And if we have that, then we can start doing practical things of the service, and we do them from the right motives. We won't be doing them to say, hey, notice me, what a good Christian I am. Think of the Pharisees again. Lord, I thank thee that I am not like other men for this person. And then the other one that he was, you know, was just praying there, Lord, I am not worthy. Which one did Jesus praise? The right heart, the right attitude. So, loving God starts with the God of creation, the God who personally created us. He also is the God of communication. God 
Verse 17, 7 through 11. Getting into the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. If you're going to love God, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. If you're going to know him, people, you've heard this probably all your lives. You've got to get into the word. There is no substitute for getting into the word of God. God's word, there is a joy there. There are problems. We'll go over some of those problems today with some of the things. Perhaps it may help you. But as we get into the word, it speaks of him. We will love him. So more desirable than gold. That isn't just poetry. That's truth. There was part in that verse that said, making wise the simple. Hey, that's my verse. I need wisdom from God. As I was going through this, I thought, you know, more to be desirable than gold. What about lottery winners? So I did a Google search, yay Google. Didn't take long till you find things like 21 lottery winners that lost it all. So here's a typical story. Lisa Arcand won, well, it's off the internet. Hopefully this is true. <laughs> Lisa Arcand won one million in the Massachusetts lottery in 2004. She bought a house and went on vacations, like many winners. Of course, a million dollars isn't much after taxes. I wouldn't know. So she also opened a restaurant to make some additional income. Sadly, within a few years, she ran out of money and closed the failing restaurant. In 2007, she said of her lottery experience, actually, it's been very depressing. From millionaire, okay, Michael Carroll was a garbage man in England when at age 19 he won 9.7 million pounds, which would be about 14 million at the time, in the lottery in 2002. A mansion, drugs, and gold jewelry ate up the money quickly. By 2012, 10 years later, Carroll was broke and living off unemployment checks. Now he works in a slaughterhouse making about $500 a week. Gerald Muswagen of Winnipeg, Manitoba, won $10 million in 1998. He bought cars for friends and family and made his new house into a party pad. Eventually, he'd spent all his money, and he took a minimum wage job to support his six children and his girlfriend. In 2005, just seven years after his big win, he took his own life. Maybe there's a reason God hasn't given you much money. Could be a blessing, you know? <laughs> What's David's prayer? Lord, give me the portion that is my own. Not too much. People can't handle it. When we come to the Bible, God's word is more desirable than gold. Because we can't, some of us can't handle it. And your servant is warned by them. Coming to God's word, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Inspired by God. I'm not a Bible scholar, but I have read commentaries on this from other Bible scholars, and I believe them. The word is literally God breathed. The breath of life is in God's word. Go back to Genesis 3. When God made man and woman, he breathed into them the breath of life. So as God is our creator, you can take just a moment, breathe in with me. There's God's breath. It's his breath. Love that song that we sometimes do. It's your breath in our lungs, so we give you our praise. Love that thought. It's all his. But when we come to God's word, it's his life in it. It's different from any other book. We're breathing with God. As we take in, we're getting God's thoughts. We get to know him. Listening, breathing with him. Jeff's going to laugh at me. This is not a short sermon. (laughs) I give him bad enough time about this. All right, so getting into the word. 2 Peter 2.2 talks about like newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow. We got to take time, get into the word. Sadly, we neglect the word, which gives us spiritual starvation. If the only time you come to the Bible is Sunday mornings, You're walking around thin and emaciated and starving to death as a Christian. We need to feed more on that. And I believe it insults the God who created us. The most important thing is that the most important thing remains the most important thing. Love God. If you're not getting into God's word, I I think you would be very sad. And disappointed. Okay. Reading your Bible, though, there are some different things that may be helpful. If anyone's ever struggled reading their Bible, I am the chief of Bible strugglers. You know, if Paul said, I am the chief of sinners, I've struggled too. Reading your Bible is not a mechanical checklist. Watch out for the inner Pharisee. Outward activity, not touching the heart. Well, I read three chapters today. (sighs) That's done. Now I can go get on with life. Anyone ever been there? (laughs) Yes. It's so easy to do the outer and not have it touch our heart. Reading the Bible should be more than a duty. It's a good duty, but it should be accompanied by at least some joy and delight if we're remembering it's fellowship with God. We don't read the Bible like you're reading a novel. Reading the Bible is not a race, something to get done quickly, saying, okay, I'm a good Christian, I did my three chapters, I'm out of here. Reading the Bible, dare I say, this is a Baptist, yeah, it's a spiritual activity. We're so often on outer, but spiritual, loving God is spiritual, reading the Bible is spiritual. So when you come to your Bible, pray before starting to read. Read it as if you are in the presence of God. You are, whether you realize it or not. And 
It took me a long time to get to this. But if you find something that hits you, you don't have to keep reading to get done with reading for the day. Stop and pray and talk to God about it. Duh. Why did it take me so long? Stop, pray, as things hit you from God's word. So, things that affect all of us. Time. George, you don't understand. I don't have the time to do a lot of Bible reading. Yeah, I know. I've been there. I have more time now, semi-retired. But I was teaching school, raising kids, <laughs> working. Yeah, I know. There's not a lot of time. We all have 24 hours. But your use of time reveals your priorities. Somewhere in the day, for the God that created the heavens, for the God that personally created you, every breath is a gift from him. If you love God, surely somewhere in that time you could find at least five minutes? A little something? Isn't he do that? The most important, I won't say the whole thing, but the most important thing. So time reveals your priorities. Like that guy? Maybe you've been there reading the Bible. I don't get this. Ever found sections you don't understand? Yeah, I don't either. Here's some reasons why. God is spirit. If you aren't a Christian yet and you're trying to read the Bible, the Bible is a spiritual book. It's not going to make sense. You have to have God's spirit inside you. You need to be a Christian. Sometimes if you're going through things, it's because you're young. You haven't taken time yet to, to grow. When God, God wants to make a squash, it takes about maybe six months or so. I don't know. My wife would know more about that than me. Maybe it's four weeks. If God wants to make an oak, it takes many, many years. Are we squashes as Christians or oaks? So as we grow, we will understand more. And there are study helps available. There are commentaries. You can go through books. Or, dare I say, we can talk to people. How you doing? Oh, let me tell you about the Blazers this week. They got this new guard going, and I'm just really looking forward to the start of basketball season. Or do we talk to people? Hey, I was reading through this thing, and this sounded cool, but I didn't understand this. What's most important? Where's our conversation centered on? Sideline things? Or what's most important? Another thing on understanding. Had to get my dog in there. That's Tally. Tally is our little schnoodle. She's 17 pounds of fluff and bounce. Makes us laugh a lot. And there she's doing one of her tricks. She likes to dance. We'll make a little sign for her sometime. We'll work for cookies. So even though Tally is a good dog, and she loves me, and I love her, she doesn't understand everything I do. She doesn't understand when it's time for us to do taxes. She doesn't understand when it's time for me to go work downstairs. 
Her world revolves around food, take me for a walk, play. We could throw belly rubs in there too. (laughs) She doesn't understand. There are things that God does we aren't going to understand because he's God. We aren't. That's pretty obvious. So if you're going through reading the Bible going, I don't understand this. I don't expect to understand everything in the Bible, which is good because I'm not. But But there are many things I do. It's enough for me to respond and act upon what I do understand. Oh, boy. And what I don't do with what I do understand. School's getting closer. Anyone ever have some of those moments? (laughs) Kids, yeah. Adults, I remember we were doing math. It was so boring (laughs) or whatever. Please, apologies. I have two sons that are math teachers. (laughs) How they got that way, I'll never know. Sometimes, do you ever find reading the Bible, I don't get this part. It's so boring. Anyone ever been there with some sections? If we're honest, hey, I'm there. I love God's word. I love reading the Bible. But as our grandchildren say on foods they don't like, no, thank you. That's not my favorite. Rather than going, yuck. There are some parts that are not my favorite. The list of genealogies. I'm sure God has a reason to put them in there. And when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. Maybe it's for for all the Jewish people that go through all that. And you know, sometimes I find things like that that go on. Or in Exodus, where God goes through about, seems like 25 chapters on how to build the tabernacle. God forgive me. I should be a better Christian. But yes, I'm afraid parts of that lose me. And it's okay. It's all right. It isn't going to make me upset if I find a few spots that are less than exciting. Not everything has to be like watching an Avengers movie or something, you know? (laughs) But what I do with that is like eating fish. Fish is good. Well, unless you ask my wife. Fish is good, but there's bones. So I'm not going to worry about the bones. I'm going to put the bones aside and keep going on with the meal, get to the good stuff. So what if there's a few boring sections? Skip over it and keep going on. Find the stuff that is. And ask God to give you a word for the day, just something for the day. It used to be the vitamins, still are probably called one-a-day vitamins. When I was a young Christian, I I would get my one-a-day verse. Lord, give me something for today. That would be my verse to build a life on for that day. Good food is good food. We need the Bible as good food. We need the Bible to grow. Ah, We just spent a week with a 22-month-old trying to get him to eat good food. Why do kids love macaroni and cheese? (laughs) And is that really the healthiest food? Here, try some vegetables. Here, try this this nice meat. Macaroni and cheese. Um. 
Okay. <laughs> yes. And I'm afraid in much of our life we, have, we channel our inner two-year-old. I don't want to read the Bible. I want to watch TV. It's more entertaining. But we still need good, solid food. Bible is good food. All right. Eat your fruits and vegetables. And memorize some Bible verses. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which wields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. I memorized that many, many years ago. Money still had more hair. But that's been something I've come back to and worked on. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. We need to memorize the word. Adults, our kids going to want to put us to shame. We quit memorizing. Why? God's word hasn't changed. Our need for God's word hasn't changed. We need to keep taking that in, memorizing, and meditating. So, last part. We've got to do the God of creation, the God of communication, the God I respond to, and we'll better hurry this up. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We need to examine our hearts. So as we come into God's word, knowing he's the creator, we are the creator, God, search my heart. David said, search me and know my heart today. Examine our hearts before God. He will show us where he wants us to change. Or occasionally say, yes, that was a good thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let the words of my mouth, words have power. Proverbs says, death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Death and life. We can put people down. We can use words that are horrible. Or we can use words that build other people up. Proverbs also says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I deliberately did not give you the references. Go look it up in Proverbs. Yeah, there's 31 verses. You'll find them somewhere. But words have power. Watch your words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. What do you dwell on? Our battle is in the mind. Sometimes Satan knows what our buttons are very well. Sometimes you'll be walking along doing things and horrendous, horrible thoughts will come in. And they'll go, oh, how can I? Well, it's probably not me. It's, it's an attack in some of those thoughts. Okay? So those are horrible thoughts. Come to God. Don't dwell on them. It's been said, you can't stop the birds of the air flying over your head, right? But you can keep them from building a nest. 
don't dwell on bad stuff. Uh, let me see. Oh, Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And then again, meditate on God's word. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. If we love God, then we bring ourselves in an offering to him. He made us. Let our life be acceptable to him, pleasing in his sight. Is this making a little more sense now? The most important thing is that the most important thing remains the most important thing. May God help us to remember that and to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our might. He is worthy of that. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious Father, our loving God who made us, you've got plans for us. You made us for purposes that are yours. God, open our hearts again in deeper ways to love you, the God who is worthy of love, our creator, redeemer. Every breath is from you. Help us to respond to you today, this week, to see you in deeper ways as the God we love. We love you, Lord. Amen.